Amen. God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, today we conclude this series looking at the Ten Commandments. We're learning that they're not just divine legislative fiats. They go much deeper. They're much more profound than that. It's more than God just trying to boss us around, but he gives us these commandments because he loves us and because he knows how we are to have that full life that he desires for us, that Jesus has won for us. Um, and if we are honest with ourselves, I think we must admit that, truthfully, things go better for us when we follow God's commandments, these ten and all of his commandments, because they flow from God's heart who loves us and wants what's best for us. So today, as we finish up, we're looking at the last two commandments together, the ninth and tenth commandments. They both have to do with one sin, and that sin is coveting. Before we get into reading the commandment, just a little illustration. Uh, I came across this picture from my high school days. Um, this is me with the other varsity volleyball captains, and you might notice something different about me um, than them, right? <laughs> Let's just say it was a miracle that I was allowed on the volleyball team. Um, I could play. I was count, kind of quick, and I found myself in that position of the guy that doesn't have to jump, but's in the front and passes the ball to everybody else. You know how that goes? So, uh, called the setter. And um, I must say, I was always a little bit jealous of the guys who could get their whole head and shoulders over the net when I had to struggle to get my fingertips over, over the net. Um, but the truth is, that's coveting, all right? Um, it can't, you, we, there's, there's really no end to the things that we can covet, not just cupcakes, which by the way, so let's go ahead and read the last two commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Let's read those together out loud. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, his vertical jump, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Admittedly, it makes me uncomfortable to mess with the word of God. I've got the, I've got the um, slides, please. Uh, that uh, took a little liberty with that to show that um, you really can't insert your own coveting when it says there anything in this list. Um, what's interesting about these two commandments is also that um, we're given a laundry list of what to covet. Not our neighbor's house, our, their spouse, their servants, or animals, or anything that belongs to our neighbor. There's just no wiggle room there. Uh, other commandments are more terse and more direct. It says you shall not steal. It doesn't give you a list of what not to steal. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. There's no laundry list of who not to commit adultery with. But when it comes to this sin of coveting, we get this laundry list of things not to covet. Um, I think it's because there's just something in human, the human heart that is bent toward coveting. And if we're not given some specifics, we would be convinced that we don't covet. But God in his wisdom, he explains it for us. He gives us a few examples of the kinds of things he's talking about, but then he punctuates it by saying, or anything. Do not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Because the truth is, you can covet just about anything. Um, if you're single, you may covet the thought of being married. Uh, if you have money, you may covet more money. Uh, if you have a job, you may covet 
a different job, one that your neighbor has. You have a house, you may covet a bigger house. If you have children, you may covet somebody else's kids who seem better behaved or more successful. There are so many things as we look around our world that seem just out of reach to us, that our hearts are coveting. So God gives us, gets us started with some good examples uh, to show us just how deeply covetous our hearts are. So what I'd like to do is look at a real-world example of this from the Old Testament people of God um, that's recorded for us in the prophet Micah, where he says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning light, they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. It's in their power. Uh, what does that mean? Well, at, that, at the time that Micah was ministering to the nation of Israel, they were enjoying some economic prosperity. And uh, all this money that Israel had in their society it created a burgeoning, wealthy class. But that money got them into trouble and created problems for them and how they used it. So part of Micah's ministry was to address these wealthy people and call them out on their bad behavior. Uh, Micah says, woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. And uh, they're so wicked that not only do they plan wicked things while they're awake, they plot evil on their beds, um, as if the light hours of the day weren't enough time to plot evil, and as if their wealth wasn't enough. Micah goes on to say, they covet fields and seize them, and their houses, and they take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Uh, Micah basically says that the rich people of his day have enough power that they can abuse them. They can abuse that power. They, they covet fields. They, they seize them. Uh, they, have, they see houses, and they even defraud their neighbors to get them. Now, the Hebrew word for covet is chamed, um, but it refers, you'll see it in the Bible, not just in this case of bad coveting, but also it can be used to describe any kind of a desire, particularly even good desire. We see that in Psalm 19 where it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired, could even say coveted, um, are they than gold, even much fine gold. Uh, the, psalmist, the psalmist is telling us that there are actually some things that we ought to chamed, some things we ought to desire, maybe even crave. It's good to desire the fear of the Lord um, because it's, it's clean, it's pure. It's good to desire the rules of the Lord because they're altogether righteous. Maybe you've heard somebody say to you when they're in a really desperate situation, I covet your prayers. Are they breaking these commandments when they're, they're coveting? No, because that is a good thing to desire. It's a holy desire because God gives us this gift of prayer. There are many good things that we can desire. The problem comes when we turn from desiring what God has given us to becoming jealous of what other people have. That's when a good desire turns into sinful coveting. And that's what's happening in Micah chapter 2. Um, they're wealthy with their own fields and even houses of their own. And they have so much of their own, and yet it's not enough for them. 
I've got my field, but I want that field, and I'm going to take it. I've got my house, but I want that house, and I'll defraud them to get it. This ultimately leads us to a fundamental fact about coveting, and that is coveting always leaves us unsatisfied, never gives us fulfillment. I mean, that's really almost, by definition, what coveting is. Wanting something you don't have. And the truth is, no matter how much we have, we can always look around us and find something we don't have, and we can always want just a little bit more. Ah, but why does God command us against this? The, the prophet Micah shows us in the next verse when he warns against coveting because of something. He says, therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity, or in the English Standard Version, disaster. Micah says, Covetous, covetousness leads to calamity. And we know, historically, that's what happened to the people of Israel, calamity. Uh, Micah's writing these words, he's a prophet, he's prophesying this in around... 740 BC, but what happened not even 20 years later in 722 BC, and that's how BC works, 722 is later in time than 740, um, the Assyrian nation swept through and kind of conquered the northern uh, part of Israel, ransacked, destroyed it, and then carried every, everyone off and everything into exile or captivity. So all of a sudden, these rich folks who thought they had everything and wanted more we're left with absolutely nothing. This is what covetous lead, covetousness leads to, and that is calamity. And not only with rich Jews in ancient times, but for people today. Think about people who covet so much. They work so hard because they covet so many things. They just want more, but they lose their family in the process of trying to get those things. Or people who covet pleasure uh, so much that they're always looking for the next high or the next thrill, or the next whatever, and they get themselves into all sorts of dangerous situations. And eventually, all those thrills take toll on their body, and they lose their health. It brings disaster upon them. What about people that covet beauty? They figure, if I can just nip it, or tuck it, or silicone it, or Botox it, or slim it, or bulk it, if I could just do that, then I'd be perfect. And they spend so much time trying to look perfect on the outside that they forget about the beauty that God has given them on the inside, and they sacrifice true beauty for the sake of fading beauty. They lose what matters most, calamity. Calamity comes. So you see, covetousness robs people of what God wants them to have, and that's why God clearly says, do not covet. So, what can we do if we want to avoid calamity, or we could say conquer covetousness? How, what are some things that we can do to keep covetousness from creating calamity, say that three times fast, uh, in your life? The first is don't let your desires define you. We live in a, a, a world or a culture where people think that life is all about getting what you desire, what you want. Think of all the infomercials that are out there, all the things in the bookstore or on the internet, and it just over and over tells us that you should have more. 
You, why aren't you having? Go for the gold. Reach for the brass ring. Um, this is a recipe for a disaster. How many couples ruin their marriage because they believe it's their spouse's job to fulfill all their desires, and, then, and if and when their spouse can't do that, well, they're going to go somewhere else trying to fulfill that desire and ultimately destroy their family, maybe even their financial security for the sake of having more and desire. So this ninth and 10th commandment reminds us we are not to follow after those covetous desires. I mean, just think back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We see in Genesis chapter 3, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Do you know what the first sin in history began with? began with a mismanaged desire. This is why the apostle Peter can say, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Peter says, uh, there are some desires you and I ought not follow. Our life is not about getting everything we want that the world would try to lead us into, although we're strangers in the world, so we don't follow after the world. And if you let your desires define you and direct your actions, you put your soul in danger. You are more than your desires, so don't let that define you. The next thing to conquer covetousness is to desire what the world overlooks. Um, This is really the heart of the gospel, I think, Um, because the gospel tells us we live, in a sinful, we live in a sinful world that's broken, and we're sinful people. God could have just overlooked us, done away with us, and moved on. But what he did is he desired us so much. We read in Corinthians, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. He desired us, even though we were weak, lowly, despised, so much so that he sent his son for us. Those of us, the the blind, the poor, the lame, the outcast, that's who he came for, not the the pompous, not the rich, not the powerful or the self-righteous. They thought they needed nothing, he offered, so he came to those who needed him. That's why he taught in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are not completely fulfilled by this world. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the weak, the poor in heart, the persecuted. Those are the things that are overlooked. Those are the people that are overlooked. But that's what God's heart desires. If you want to conquer covetous desire, learn to desire what God desires and to desire what the world overlooks, to see the world the way God sees it. That's really what this uh, verse from Matthew chapter 6 tells us. I like it so much. Let's go ahead and read this out loud together, okay? Words of Jesus. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All that our heart desires starts by seeking God. If we set our minds on his kingdom, and you could say that's something that the world overlooks, something the world doesn't necessarily desire, then he gives us the true desires 
the deepest need of our heart, and that's His righteousness. Let me give you a little challenge, a little take-home um, challenge, and that is to pray for God to open your eyes to see the things that His heart desires. Open your eyes to see the good things that the world overlooks. Open your eyes Ask God to open your eyes to see past your earthly desires and then ask him to cause your heart to desire those things instead of the things that you're coveting, those things that he's not ordained for you to have or not to have now. Okay? Don't be defined by your desires and desire what the world overlooks. The last point is simply to be thankful. The problem with covetousness is that it it's always saying, I want that. I need that. I've got to have that. Thankfulness, on the other hand, always looks at what it already has and says, I'm grateful for that. See, covetousness always looks at the ways in which you're empty. Thankfulness always looks for the ways in which you're full. Which way would you rather live your life? Never satisfied, feeling empty, or grateful and content and thankful? And I will say, it takes some work to do this because our hearts are naturally discontented. I think that's why social media is causing the problems that it is. You thought your vacation was great until you saw the pictures that your friends posted from the Eiffel Tower or wherever, and you're thinking, wow, why didn't we do that? Or you thought that food that you made, that dinner that you were enjoying was great until you saw, you know, whatever your friend posted. Or you thought the home remodel project could you were doing was pretty good until you see what the professionals, um, you know, are selling that pops up on that thing on your screen. And that's why we need to train ourselves because the advertisement, the messaging of the world, it's always telling us never to be satisfied. We need to train our minds, teach our minds to be thankful, to be grateful, to take stock of those blessings that you have that are all around you that you could easily take for granted. And to be truthful, and I kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the series, if you, if you haven't maybe noticed it week by week, but here's a case where when we violate this very last of the commandments of not coveting, uh, of, you know, against coveting, you could say, we're actually violating the first commandment. Because what we do when we covet is we put ourselves in the position of God and we are telling God, in effect, what you have given me is not good. If I were God of my life, which I am, again, we say that in our sinful selves, this is what I would have given me. So even coveting, which seems like it's just, it's at the end, it's the smallest, if you will, of all the commandments. It goes right back to the first. If we let our heart do that, we're violating the first commandment and saying what God has done isn't good enough. So where in your life can you replace covetousness with gratefulness? If you have a family, can you thank God for that? If you have a place to lay your head at night, can you be thankful for that? If you have money in your banking account, even if it's not as many zeros as you would like, can you be thankful for that? If you have forgiveness of sins and life and salvation, if you know of an empty tomb, a, a blood-stained cross, and a risen Savior, can you be thankful for that? Because thankfulness always conquers covetousness. I'll leave you with a little illustration of this. Have you ever gone to a restaurant where the food was really good, uh, the portions were, were huge, and at the end of the meal, you are literally stuffed. You're leaving food on your plate, 
And then along comes the server and says, uh, would you like to see the, dinner me- the, the dessert menu? Excuse me. Um, can I just say, there's pictures in there that will cause you to covet. And I've never quite understood those people who say, well, I just want to look. I mean, why would you torture yourself that way? Uh, just want to look so I can covet those desserts I'm not going to get. Um, so in the example I'm giving you, think of it this way. <clears throat> You've enjoyed your meal. You're full. And the server says, would you like to see the dessert menu? Simply say, no, thank you. What the ninth and 10th commandments really teach us to do is to say, no, thank you. I don't need more. I don't need what you're advertising. I don't need what somebody else has. I have enough. The ninth and 10th commandments teach us to say no to more because they remind us that we've been made full. We've been made full by the cross of Christ. We've been made full by his death and resurrection. We've been made full by his forgiveness and his salvation. And when we have those things, our deepest needs have been satisfied. So there's no need to covet. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are so many things in this world that we can look at and desire in our heart. So many things we wish we had. But Heavenly Father... Today, create in us a sense of thankfulness rather than covetousness. Help us receive with grateful hearts what you've blessed us with. Cause us to be thankful for all the ways that you bless us, for the gifts that you have given us. May we be grateful people living grateful lives. Your grace and mercy. We ask this in Jesus' holy name.